we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going through it this summer, and we're not afraid of the scripture, and so we just go a piece at a time, a piece at a time. Now, if you're new here, I know sometimes people can have this idea that, oh, I just go to church and they just talk about money. And we don't just talk about money every week, but it just so happens you showed up on the week where Jesus talks about money. So we're not afraid of that, so we'll talk about it. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask for your money at the end or send a plate around or anything like that. But let's just read the passage and see what Jesus had to say on this topic from Matthew chapter 6. You're welcome to follow along in your Bible, on your phone, uh, wherever you got it or we've got it on the screen here. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so here's our passage, and Jesus continues with his sermon, and now... I thought there's a little tie-in. Two weeks ago, we talked about rewards. Jesus was talking about rewards. And I think there's a tie-in here with treasures. But we remember from two weeks ago, God, it seems like Jesus is saying, hey, God rewards us. And his rewards for us come in a few forms. One of them is, is a physical form, and that's here on earth and in tangible ways and under certain circumstances. There's rewards for us as we make righteous choices. And we also know there's emotional rewards. There's things that happen in our heart and with our spirit. There's renewal and there's healing and we gain wisdom and there's reward for making righteous choices. And then Jesus also points us to eternal rewards. And he's alluding to that here as he talks about in heaven, right? When we get beyond the seen realm and we get into the unseen realm, Jesus tells us there's going to be rewards for us. And so today, in our passage today, of course Jesus was all one day and all one time he was saying these things, he moves from rewards into treasures. And so what really is kind of the distinction well, as I think, think about it, and I've prayed about it, and I looked at it, and I think the real distinction here is, we ask, what is a, a treasure? A treasure is really something that we are working for. Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So there's some action that we're doing, and there's some sort of treasure, or something that sort of results from that. Now, what is that? Now, we've said this is a point of review, and we want to just keep hitting this because it's very, very, very important in my mind. And that's the fact that God doesn't love you any more or any less based upon what you do. Say that again. God doesn't love you any more or any less based upon what you do. We've already talked about that. And I say God just loves us at the maximum level. And how do we know he loves us at the maximum level? Because he gave up his son to die in our place. There's no way his love could be any greater for us than that. 
So we talk about being saved, being saved from our sins. And so do we work to get our salvation? No, we don't. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it is for by grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. faith. Is it by works? No, not by works. So we know that these treasures that Jesus is talking about here, it doesn't have anything to do with salvation. It doesn't have anything to do with salvation. Just as a reward was not salvation, so a treasure is not salvation. But somehow, when we look at this passage, it seems like Jesus is saying there's some things we can do here to kind of pay it forward to ourselves. When we step from the seen realm into that unseen realm, it seems like there's something we can do. It seems like there's some way for us to build into sort of an eternal retirement, right? I think we all kind of understand that. Uh, many of you here, and, and maybe some of you aren't, but all of us are, are, are potentially paying into some kind of savings or retirement. If you're not, maybe that's something to start thinking about. But we think about, hey, I'm going to set aside treasure that I have now money or things or assets or whatever, I'm going to set those aside and they'll be able to be used later. And so I think in the same way Jesus is saying, there's things you can do here and you, instead of getting the benefit for it now, you're setting it aside for later. You're sort of paying into an eternal retirement fund, so to speak. And I think that's pretty cool, right? Because he's saying, hey, it really has to do with righteousness, Right? Just making good choices. And sometimes we can feel like, ah, I'm making good choices. And what good is really coming from that? I mean, nobody wants to work for free. None of us really want to work for free. We always want to have some kind of gain that comes from it. But Jesus is saying, hey, you're being righteous and you're kind of volunteering. But we all know on earth, what do you get from a volunteer? Volunteerism. You get no commitment. You get, you get nothing from them. It's just sort of, oh, I just sort of gave it. But Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? You're going to volunteer. You're going to sacrifice. You're going to do righteous things that might seem like, ah, what am I getting from this? But you're sending it on into some sort of eternal retirement. And so Jesus frames this discussion about eternal retirement, treasures laid up in the future. He frames it in light of finances, doesn't he? Jesus is using finances to illustrate the principle of heavenly treasure. And so I don't really know what that currency is. And that's not really what he talks about. He doesn't say, and your treasure will be this, this, and this, and the currency we use in heaven will be that, that, and that. He doesn't say that. So I'm not really going to worry about that today. What I'm interested in is, when I look at the passage, I go, man, I think there's really three principles for us to say, you know what, I don't know how that's going to pan out. In the same way that I'm going to retire, and I don't really know how that retirement is going to go, that's a long way down the road, but I'm going to set things aside. I think... We're going to look at three principles he gives us from this passage for how we can set that treasure aside for eternity. So the first one is this. And I think there's a real clarity that comes from this. He says that God's best for us is when we are focused on heaven and not earth. This is the first part of the passage today. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you can see the connection here between money and eternal treasure, so to speak, in our hearts. And I really think that when we look at this, I think what Jesus is kind of saying is that money is kind of a, it's like a market indicator for our lives. Do you guys understand market indicator? I mean, some of you are probably in finance and you get that and you go, oh yeah, when they say the Dow Jones, they understand that's, the Dow Jones is a market indicator. For those of us who really aren't in finances or stock market or anything like that, the Dow Jones is just an indicator of what's going on in the market. The Dow Jones is not the market. So in the same way, money is kind of our market indicator in our lives. So think about your life. And I kind of did the math. There's 168 hours in the week, right? And if 168 hours of the week, you're sleeping probably 40 to 50 of them, hopefully. 40 to 50 hours. And then of the rest of the time, you spend probably another 40 to 50 hours a week working. Some of you are like, 40 hours? Who works a 40-hour week anymore? (laughs) Right? So when it comes down to that, nearly two-thirds... Well, okay, so you're sleeping, you're working, and then what are you doing with the rest of the time? The rest of the time, you're probably either spending the money you've made or thinking about how to spend the money or worrying about spending the money that you've made during that time. So when you take sleep out of it, nearly two-thirds of our time is spent either making money, thinking about spending money, or spending money. So you can see how money is really a good market indicator in our lives, isn't it? And of course, this varies depending on your situation. This is just an example. But who here has ever worried, raise your hand, if you've ever worried about money or making a financial decision? Okay? Right? Maybe some of the kids haven't, but everybody else has. Right? Who here has ever struggled with managing your money? Yep, me too. Right? And what about who here has ever made a poor decision with your money? The rest of you are liars. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Right? Every single one of us somehow probably in one of those questions has raised our hands or probably should have raised our hand. And now I counsel certain people, a number of of people here, outside of here through pastoring, and almost every single person I counsel with, there's something going on in their lives with money. There's some sort of struggle or some issue. Maybe it's not a major thing. That's just a concern going on with everybody. And you know the number one cause of conflict in marriage is money. So it's probably fairly obvious how we relate to money is really an indicator of what's going on inside our hearts. There it is in verse 21. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think another way we could put this is he's saying what you value will sway how you expend your energy. It'll change how you feel. It'll change your emotions. And it will affect where you place your efforts. I think that's what Jesus is saying. Now, we can easily think, right? Have you ever thought this? If I just had enough money, I wouldn't have to worry about money. you ever thought that? I think that. (laughs) But it's just not true, is it? Think about the last time you got a raise. If you ever got a raise, I think probably most people get a raise at some point. If you got a raise, was it enough? No. When will it ever be enough? Unless you think, oh, there's people who really do have enough and there's no problems. I present to you this picture. 
It's a picture of one of the wealthiest, the home. I don't even know if a home is a good description. Everything you see there belongs to one of the wealthiest people in the world. And I actually knew somebody who worked in that house. I'm not going to say who the person was who, who owns this. You could probably figure it out. I, I alluded to this. I wrote a siren thought a few weeks ago. And I talked about this too. But I got some insight into what the world of one of the wealthiest people in the world is like from this friend of mine who, who worked as a security guard at this home. And this, this person, the this, this family who owns this home, has, I can't even begin to describe how much money they have. It is a ridiculous amount where you think we wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. But they were terribly afraid of losing their money and of thieves breaking in and stealing their money. And so one example of this is, this is a home, and it's in a neighborhood. This isn't off on some island somewhere. It's in a major city. And this family then began to buy up the properties all around in the neighborhood, all of the other properties, so that nobody could live there and they could have security around them. They hired their own security force, but they didn't trust their own security force, and they kept hiring and firing them because they didn't trust them. One of these homes that they bought, they turned into a mail room. And in that mail room, they began to screen all of the mail they got, being afraid of anthrax and other sort of things that would come through the mail. So do we think, oh, if I just had enough money, I wouldn't have to worry about it anymore? I don't think it's true. I don't think it's true. Now we go back to the verse, right? And Jesus says, man, did you notice that? He says, he talks about moths and rust and thieves. And you go, okay, that's cool. And he says it twice. And you go, wow, he says it twice, so it must be important. So I was like, well, let's talk about some of those things. Let's look at those. So, moths. Right? We, we kind of get those here sometimes. We get the invasion of the Miller moths that come through in the summer and head up to the high country. What's the deal with moths? I think maybe we don't always understand. I, I had to do a little research on moths. I just thought oh, there's sort of the, the flittery things that get annoying and, and get into our coffee mugs up in the cafe, right? Not anymore. Not anymore. We've, we've come up with moth uh, abatements, I guess. I don't know. Right? But moths, there's thousands of species of moths, moths all around the world, and they eat crops. Like in this picture, they eat clothes. They will eat furnishings. They'll get into the pantries and eat food. And see, like Ned said, oh, not anymore. Well, we have modern techniques like sheets of plastic and screens and, and doors, and we could seal up the cracks. So we have some defenses against moths that when Jesus was talking, they didn't really have. So they were kind of at the mercy of the moths. Now, I think we, we even have, I was thinking about moths, and I have uh, grandparents who have since gone on to be with the Lord, and they're from Texas, and they had a, a much more difficult challenge, I think, with moths, and they're in Dallas, Texas, and there's a scent of mothballs. I don't know if any of you have ever smelled mothballs, but when I smell that scent, I think of my grandparents. Because that was the smell of their home. Because they had a problem with moths, and they just nuked it with mothballs. In fact, they gave my family a, a blanket, like a picnic blanket, 20 years ago. And it's been in my parents' house, who have no mothballs. It's 
still smells like mothballs. It's been washed many times. You just can't get it out, right? Well, in Jesus' day, they didn't have mothballs. They didn't have screens. They didn't have plastic. They didn't have those things. None of that stuff existed. And so what I think Jesus was really saying here is that, hey, on earth, there are unpredictable natural forces that cause destruction. Right? Now, what about rust? Right? We go, ooh, rust. That kind of looks cool. But rust, you might think, oh, well, rust, if you were like me, I think I would know better, but I didn't know better. What is rust? I thought, oh, it's when, like, metal gets wet. Actually, it's not. Metal, iron, steel rusts when it's exposed to air. Iron oxide and air react and rust. Right? Now, today, obviously water and salt sort of speed those things up, but today we have all kinds of things like paint. We can paint steel. But what happens when the paint cracks? Well, then you start to get lines of rust and you've got to repaint. There's other coatings we can put under those things. I have steel gutters on my house. I'm thankfully getting them replaced, but they've rusted through and made holes and they're not working very well. I've got lots of drips. Rust is a natural force that must constantly be checked. And see, in in Jesus' day, put yourself back there in first century Israel, iron was a really cool thing. Like, that's the cool stuff. That's what they make swords out of. That's like the best stuff. And yet, if you left it out, it would rust. And so here is like the most amazing material they could think of. And the natural processes of decay are working on it, right? So I think that's what's going on. There's, There's natural decay. In the world, that's what Jesus is talking about there. Now, what about thieves? I tried to get to get a picture of thieves, and this is the best I could do. <laughs> so goofy. But thieves, what's the deal with thieves, right? There's all kinds of bad actors in the world. Why didn't he talk about murderers or rapists or, I don't know, lawyers? I don't know, something like that. Why did he say thieves? It's because thieves affect our treasure the most, don't they? All the bad actors in the world, they do. Theft is so violating, right? Have you ever been stolen from? It's really annoying. It really makes me mad. It really makes me mad. And, but we kind of expect it, don't we? I mean, I, I bet everybody has a lock on your front door, right? A lock on your car, and you, got, you push the button. Oh, I've got to make sure I lock the door, because we expect thieves. Chuckle, we, we live in a... A fairly suburban neighborhood, and there's a park uh, just down the street, and we've had so many things where our kids have just, oh, I forgot that, and they go back a little bit later, and it's gone. The thie- it's like, where do the thieves come from? I don't know where they come from, but they show up, and they take your stuff, and you feel violated. See, today we go, well, I've got door locks, and i got you know, a little doorbell with the camera on it, and I can see who's coming. They didn't really have that in Jesus' day. They were kind of at the mercy of the thieves. And so I think what Jesus is saying is that there's a fallen human nature that creates those problems for us. So these three things, I think, why did Jesus say moths and rust and thieves? He's basically saying, I'm encompassing all forms of destruction that stem from the fall of man. And he's saying, in heaven, we're not going to have those things. And by saying, hey, in heaven, we're not going to have those things, he's saying, get focused on the place where stuff is going to last. And so how do we do that? Well, we'll talk about this more at the end. Let's move on to the second point. Is that God gives us clarity about treasure when we have the right focus in life. 
Here's the second part of today's passage. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, when you read this passage, you go, why did Jesus shift from talking about treasure into medicine and then back into treasure? <laughs> this passage, like, you almost could delete these couple of sentences and read the passage and be like, yeah, it still makes sense. What is going on with this? Well, Jesus didn't just say random stuff. He said things for a purpose, and so there's clues to this. And so, as I sort of look, looked it out, I think if we go to Matthew 20... We get a clue as to what Jesus was talking about here. Now, in Matthew 20, there's a parable. Jesus tells a parable. He's talking about workers working in a vineyard. And there's a master, and he gets the workers to show up in the morning, and he says, I'm going to pay you this wage. And then they go, great, and they go out and they start working in the vineyard. And as the day goes on, the master needs more workers. And so more workers show up, and we're towards the end of the day, and he gives, he says, I'll give you a wage if you go out and work. And so they're all out working, and at the end of the day, they all come back, and he, he pays out the wage. And he pays the same to the guys who started at the beginning as the ones who started at the end. And so the ones who started at the beginning are kind of upset. And they're like, why am I getting paid the same as those people? And so then we get to verse 15 of Matthew 20. And the master, this is really a picture of God, says, Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Now the key to our passage actually comes from the footnote coming from the translation through the Greek. Instead of, do you begrudge my generosity, this could be translated, is your eye bad because I am good? And so now we start to see the connection there. A good eye means being able to see that grace is beautiful. It means seeing the good when others are blessed unexpectedly. So back in our passage, I was like, well, let me sort of try to paraphrase what I think Jesus is saying in these first couple sections of the passage. And I sort of wrote this. This is my paraphrase. It's like Jesus is saying, don't aim for earth, aim for heaven. Be focused on storing up treasure there in heaven. Make sure that you see clearly that this heavenly treasure is infinitely more precious than anything you could come by here on earth. To see it this way, that good eye, to see it this way means to be full of light. If you don't see it this way, then you are being guided by the false light of the world, the glitz and glamour of earthly treasure, which is really just darkness. And so I think we would all agree, right? The world is really dark. It's really hard to live in the world. In John, Jesus says this. He says, light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And so I think what Jesus is saying in our passage today is that if we let ourselves have the wrong focus, if we're going to focus on earthly things instead of on heavenly things, we're going to become blind. And we're going to be blind in a world that's already dark. And it's true in so many things, but I think it's so obviously and painfully true when we think about money. 
Apostle Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6. He says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. He goes on, he says, It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Jesus is calling us to have a clear focus in life, a clarity of a focus on heaven, not on earth. And so finally, when we get back to our passage, I think the third point that Jesus has for us here is that God has not designed us to be worship multitaskers. He says no one can serve two masters. He didn't say no one can serve 15 masters. He said no one can serve two, just two. No one can serve two masters. You either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. And he says you cannot love God and money. You cannot serve God and money. See, we all live our lives trying to do lots of stuff, right? Right? If you're like me, you try to do lots of stuff. And we have technology, right? We've got our phones, we've got our computers, and we've got our cars, and we've got our microwaves. And we've got all this stuff, and we go, ah, this is supposed to help free me up. But it really only makes us busier, doesn't it? I had this, I, I heard somebody on the radio recently, there's this robotics company in Boulder. You know, good for them. They're making robots. It's really cool. But they're interviewed on the radio and they said, yes, our goal is to make household companion robots. And we want one in every home. It's like, well, that's a lofty goal, but okay, sure, whatever. And then the, the interviewer said, so why do you want to do this? What's your goal? And they said, well, our goal is so that people can have, you can have more free time by having a household companion who will do stuff for you. And I just laughed. I was like, it doesn't work that way, does it? You're going to get that robot and then you've got to manage the robot or you're going to take the time and you're going to fill it with something else and you're just going to be even busier. And we all become multitaskers. So here's a picture of how I'm a multitasker. This is my to-do list. I'm not sure if you can see it. I have 10 categories. I have, uh, let's see, I've got administrative things. I have building things. I've got pastoral things. People. Yes, people are a category on my list. Ministries, visual stuff, financial stuff, personal stuff, my supplemental income, other things. I also have a list of the repairs I need to make on my car that are about three years outstanding. And at home I have a separate list that's all the projects on my house. I'm a multitasker. And don't worry, if you want to meet with me and get together, you get to the top of the list. So it's okay, don't feel like I'm too busy for you, because I'm not. But this is my point. I'm a multitasker when it comes to life, but Jesus is saying, don't be a multitasker when it comes to worship. Worship God alone. We must have a singular focus in our worship. Why? Because we can't serve two masters. We can't serve two masters. Now, I think most of us probably, I mean, there may be somebody would say something, but I, I trust most of you here, if you're interested in following God, you would not say, man, I choose money, not God, right? Like, who would say that? None of us would say that. But how are you living? Are you living as if you're choosing God and not money? Are you straddling the fence? Are you trying to pursue earthly treasure and thinking that you're trying to pursue God too? What are you spending your money on? What are you spending your money on? 
Why are you working? Why do you have that job? Why are you working the hours that you're working? Why? How is your life oriented? Is you orient your life towards making money and that's got the priority in your life? Or are you worshiping God? This is super convicting for me as well. I hope it's convicting to you. How are you living? Are you living like you think you can be a worship multitasker? Because Jesus says we can't. And you go, okay, fine. Fine, Greg. How do we do it? How do I choose to worship God alone and not money? Man, I'm caught in this world. How do I get focused on heaven? i got to live here. Well, you know what? I think Jesus is effectively asking us to swim against a strong current of the culture. Well, you got money over here, and you got God over here. And we're supposed to go this way towards God, but it's like, as we're going this way, there's this crowd of people going, Money! running and we're trying to fight through them and we can't no, I just want to go this way right that's what Jesus is asking us to do but you know what if Jesus asks us to do it it can be done he's not going to ask us to do something we can't do Matthew nineteen twenty six. Jesus says with God all things are possible we like to quote that verse when we're facing any sort of thing. Oh yeah, with God all things are possible. And it's true. But you know what the context of that statement is? He's talking about how riches don't get us closer to God. And they're saying, man, God, we live in this culture and it's so caught up in money. How can we be focused on God in heaven? He says, with God it's possible. So what should we do? How do we do this? Well, I thought I'd give you some practical tips. Jesus ties our money to our treasure, to our heavenly treasure. And here's one thing you can do to make sure you're not worshiping money. Give money away. Did he just say that? I did. Give your money away. And I said that because Jesus said that in Luke 6.38. Jesus says, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. And so I think there's a couple ways we can give money away. There's a couple ways we shouldn't give money away, but here's some ways we should give money away. The first one is to give it freely. Give it freely. Not giving so that you can get not paying is an obligation like you're paying a tax. Just give it. Just give it freely. Another way we can give it is sacrificially. We can give it away sacrificially. Not, well, I got 10 bucks left over this or 100 bucks left over this month. Say, man, I'm going to plan for this. I'm going to give it away. I'm going to sacrifice. Not leftovers. Not what I can spare. I'm going to sacrifice and give it away. And I'm going to give it away because I want to show that I'm choosing to worship God. An eternal treasure, not the treasure here on earth. And then I think this is sort of obvious. We ought to give it in ways that honor God. You could run down the street and just throw money out your... You can drive down the street and throw it out your window. Like, woo, making it rain. That's probably not honoring God. You can honor God how? Well, you know what? You can give it to places that build into other people spiritually or build into yourself spiritually. There's all kinds of great places that you can give that honor God. So that's the first thing. Give money away. second thing would be plan wisely and live simply. 
What's the biggest cause of us getting entangled in money problems? It's a lack of a plan. We usually don't have a plan. We just kind of get it and we start spending. We just sort of, no, oh, I don't have a plan. I just have this, oh my gosh, and now I'm in debt. Now I have all these problems. We didn't have a plan. As a church, we're willing to help you. We can, we can counsel you. We've offered Financial Peace University. We'll offer it again. We'll walk you through those things. If you need help getting a plan, we'll help you get a plan. And then, a lot of times, we just don't live simply. We just live with too many things. And so ask yourself, hey, I drive a car. Is my car simple or is it excessive? What about your house? Is your house what you need or is your house too much? Where are you eating? What are you eating? How are you being entertained? What are you spending on that? Are you living simply? Also, are you buying on credit? Credit means are you buying with money you don't have? It's not living simply. It's not planning wisely. The third thing is give our lives to something bigger. How do we want to get focused on heaven? Give our lives to something bigger. Remember what Jesus said, if I'm not aiming at God's kingdom, I'm settling for the darkness, not the light. And so I really think this means we got to live and we got to lay down our lives for God's kingdom. You want to set that aside for heaven? You want to pay into that eternal retirement? Oh, i got to live for God's kingdom here. Jesus called us to be part of God's bride, the church. That's what he called us to do. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He's called us to be friends with each other as believers, to give our lives to something bigger than ourselves, which is the church. That's how we can get the focus onto heaven. That's how we can show, I'm choosing to worship God. I'm giving my time and my energy, my direction. It's all pointed toward God and His kingdom, not towards storing up some treasure here that's just going to rust and, and get eaten up and get stolen and go away. So I think if we do these things, we're really storing up our treasures in heaven. Or then we can be saved, yeah, man, I really am serving God. And I'm not serving money. And that's what I think Jesus is talking about. So I hope we can all walk this out today. Let's pray and we'll close here. Lord, I thank you that you don't shy away from really difficult topics. God, you sent your son Jesus Christ to earth and he, he walked around the earth and he had a ministry for a few years. Lord, and he was not afraid of getting right to the heart of the matter. God, I get the sense there's so many of us who serve two masters. We think we serve two masters, but we really don't serve two masters. We're really only serving one. God, you've called us to serve you. You've called us to set aside our treasures to pay ahead into that eternal retirement. God, I don't know what that currency is going to be like when we get there, but someday, God, you're going to open that curtain and we're going to walk from the seen into the unseen. And it's going to be amazing. Lord, help each one of us who call ourselves Christians, who've taken on that free gift of salvation, to live on a path 
that honors you, that builds your kingdom, that sets aside treasures in heaven. Lord, if there's practical things any of us need to do in our lives, whether it's giving or planning, living simply or dedicating ourselves to other people and to our church, Lord, help us to do that. Lord, help us to have the courage. How do you say any of us, if we lack wisdom, we should ask for it? Lord, when it comes to this, Lord, we want to be wise. Please help us to be wise. Thank you for your words. We thank you for the truth, even though it's really challenging sometimes. We know that truth is going to bring good. That we, when we obey you in righteousness, that will be good in store for us. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.